John chapter 4, we'll read from verse 1 through verse 14. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went away again into Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with. And the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we come to you lisping our praise, but God, we do want to give it. We praise you, God, for your goodness to people like us. We praise you, Father, for sending Christ. We thank you, Father, that you have uh, bought us and sought us, as we sang a moment ago. Lord, we thank you that so many of us here can identify with Christ, united to him, born from above. And God, we're grateful for the, uh, the life that we now have because of him. And God, while it is not a life free of trouble, it is a life in yoke with our Lord. And it is so much better, so much sweeter than life when we were under the burden of sin and carrying that load. God, we thank you for forgiveness and the realization of sins put away. And God, we, when we think rightly, we are able to, along with the Apostle Paul, even be glad that you call us to suffer for your sake. Lord, we thank you for uh, this new year that you've given to us each day a gift from you and God we pray that as we begin another trip around the sun that you would help us father to love you with unfeigned love with a love that's not um, parceled out but is given freely openly as you've loved us a love that's not petitioned off god we want to give you a wholehearted love 
And God, we pray and ask that our lives would be constrained by the love of Christ. Help us tonight as we look into this passage, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, before we get back to Philippians, I wanted to uh, look at this passage. It's one I was thinking about while I was away on vacation. Um, It's a familiar passage to many of you, and it's a passage which gives us a wonderful look at the love of Christ. In verses 3 and 4, we're told that Jesus leaves Judea, and he's going to Galilee, and verse 4 says, and he had to pass through Samaria. Judea, many of you know, was to the south. It was the south part of the country, and Galilee is the north part of the country with Samaria in between it. But there were three routes, really, to get, at least three routes, to get from one place to the other. One was to go down to the west around by the coast and go up. Another was to go to the east and cross the Jordan and go into Perea and go up and then cross back over the Jordan to avoid Samaria because the Jews, as we read here, didn't have any dealings with the Samaritans. And the other was the really direct route, just straight through the middle of the country. But most of the Jews avoided that route because of the antipathy that they felt toward the Samaritan people. So when it says Jesus had to pass through Samaria, it doesn't mean like that's the only way for him to get where he's going. There were other ways. Do you think it was maybe because he was in a hurry? He is about his father's business. He's productive. And he doesn't hold the same kinds of, of, of you know, hard feelings that the Jews held toward the Samaritans. He doesn't have those. And so it doesn't pain him to go through Samaria. It could be some of that. But I think it's more than that. I think that the Samaritan woman had a divine appointment with God that day. And he had to go through Samaria because that's where she was. And it was obedience to the father to go to where she was because she needed to hear what he had to tell her. So we see the love of God in having to go through Samaria to meet this woman who otherwise would not hear of the love of Christ to her, the free gift that he offers. He has to go, and so he goes. Jesus came to her bearing a gift, even though she didn't realize it. Verse 10 says, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And it's really that thought that I want us to think about tonight. If you knew the gift of God. What is the gift of God? Here he describes it as as living water that springs up to eternal life. He says this in verse 14. But you can think of so many other passages that speak of it. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God loves the world. He gives His Son. It's the gift of His Son and and the life that He brings and all that comes with that. Isaiah 9, 6, a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Or Ephesians 2, 8, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. James 1.17 says, Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, 
coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadows. Again and again, the Bible tells us that God gives good gifts, and the, the best gift that He's given to us, the gift of God, is the gift of His Son and the life that comes through Him. And so I think you could say that all of that is somewhat packed into Jesus' reference to the gift of God. If you knew the gift of God, you would have asked me. Now, it's obvious that at the time she met Jesus, the woman had no idea of the value of the gift he was bringing to her. She kept talking about literal water. You don't even have a bucket to draw water out of that well. And Jesus wasn't talking about literal water. She had no idea of the value of the gift. Well, what defines the value of a gift? We've just concluded the Christmas season, and for many there's the giving of gifts. And maybe you received some gifts that were more valuable to you than others. Some you may have in a pile to return, or may go into the closet to re-gift. Maybe not. But some, perhaps, you received and you thought, wow, that's... Wow. I think that there are several ways that we could appraise the value of a gift. And I want to mention those. I've got four. There probably are others, but I'm thinking about four. One is an item's intrinsic value. Sometimes there are things that are just of value. They're expensive. Maybe you recognize the brands. You know, you pick up some things and it's obvious it's kind of plasticky and maybe cheap and you pick up a similar item, and there's a heft to it that kind of tells you there's a quality here that's not in this similar item. Have you ever said, oh, that, that's too much. You shouldn't have gotten that for me. Maybe it's something that's just well-crafted. Some, some piece of woodworking that's made of, it's obvious, it's real wood. It's not press board and, and veneered. It's, it's real wood. And there's a craftsmanship to it that adds a value. And you look at it and you think, that's nice. Or, uh, you know, they say that uh, some cars are better made than others. It's German engineering or maybe it's Japanese engineering. I remember years ago, uh, I used to go to church with the family that owned the Toyota dealership before the, the folks who own it now. And uh, if someone said something about how expensive the Toyota cars were versus another car, they would say, you can pay me now or you can pay me later. Yeah, you can pay it up front or when yours breaks, you can pay me then. They were trying to say that there's a value attached to that number. It's not just that it's expensive, it's, it's, it's worth it. Some things are valuable because they're rare. Precious metals, precious jewels. If, if our parking lot out here were Pay, uh, 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 not paved, but if they had diamonds instead of gravel, diamonds wouldn't be nearly as rare or valuable as they are now. But they're precious, they're rare. Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God, and I think what he's telling us is if we knew the gift of God and the value of the gift of God, you would want what he gives. If you knew the value of this gift, you would ask for it. 
This gift has a great intrinsic value. Peter writes, 1 Peter 1, verses 18 and 19, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold. And he doesn't say perishable things like gravel or dirt. He talks about things of value. It's not perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood. As of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. There is an intrinsic value there, a value that you cannot find anywhere else. Everything else we could say is perishing, but that is not. Everything else in this created order is susceptible to corruption unless he changes us like he will when we're united to Christ and are glorified. But Christ, incorruptible. There is in him, this rare jewel, a dignity and a uniqueness of person that you can't find anywhere else. There is no one else like him. He is not created. He stands in a category by himself. And the gift of God is that he sends his son, that one, to us to rescue us. Well, there's not only this uh, intrinsic value, but I think you can also appraise or, or assign value to an item sometimes because of sentimental reasons. There's a sentimental value. And it's often determined by the person who gives it to you or the circumstances surrounding their giving that thing to you. You know, most of the things I own have a price tag on them, not literally. But if you showed up with enough money, there's very few things I have that you couldn't have. Um, but there are a few things. One, I have on uh, the mantle of my house an antique clock that was given to me by my grandparents. And it belonged to a great uncle of my grandmother. So it's kind of been in the family for a while and... Because they gave it to me, and I have memories of it as a child. It chimes every quarter hour. It has a lot of value to me. And I can't imagine someone offering me money and saying, yeah, I'll take that. I just can't imagine it. There's a value attached to it that's more than its intrinsic value. I got to wondering today, and so I looked online at some antique mantle clocks. And I didn't see this exact one, but I didn't see any that were just you know, so out of reach that you couldn't find one. And so the value to me, because my grandparents gave it to me, is much greater than the intrinsic value of it. And so the intrinsic value and the, um, you know, the sentimental value don't have to necessarily go hand in hand. There's a value you place on something because of your love for the giver or because of the circumstances in which it was given Moms and dads, do you have any gifts that your children have given you when they were small? And honestly, the only reason you still have them is because your child gave it to you. I mean, maybe it's an ugly tie dad or, you know, something else. But the only reason it isn't in a trash can is because your kid gave it to you. Well, 
If you know the gift of God, do you not place a great value on that gift because of love? There is great intrinsic value, so I'm not saying there's a sentimental value that's greater than, than the intrinsic value, but there can be both. There's this great intrinsic value, but there's also, for those who know God, for those who are united to Christ, a great sentimental value, the value of love. Again, Peter writes in 1 Peter 2, 7, Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. He's not precious to everyone. There are those who look at him and see nothing, nothing worth loving. But to you who believe, to you who know him, to you who have received the gift of God, he's precious. What would you trade for him? Well, nothing. Absolutely nothing. 1 Peter 1.8, though you have not seen him, you love him. 2 Corinthians 2, verses 15 and 16. We are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, an aroma from death to death. To the other, an aroma from life to life. I often think about that passage born reference to the fact that there are people who are dying who smell death. But think about it from the other side. Christian, do you never smell the aroma of the Lord on your brothers and sisters and it's precious to you? Because he's precious to you? Some of you only smell death. You place no great value on this gift, but it's only because you do not know the gift of God. There's a third way that we can assign value, and that's the appropriateness of the gift. Maybe we can talk about it for a moment by thinking of it from the other side. Have you ever received an inappropriate gift? And I don't mean anything vulgar or something like that, just you get something and you think, does this person even know me? I, why would they give me this? Zach Anderson, not here tonight, but Zach plays golf. He grew up next to a um, golf course and evidently played a lot. He likes golf. If you gave him a set of nice golf clubs, he would probably appreciate that. If you gave me the latest, greatest golf club guaranteed to make you hit ball straight, I, I got nothing I got nothing. I don't enjoy golf. I've tried golf. I don't enjoy golf. For me, golf is paying money to find the holes in your sanctification. There's nothing about it that I like. So I wouldn't appreciate that. If I were going to buy a gift for Ron Franks, I would begin thinking probably in the category of grilling accessories. That's Ron. If I bought Ron a pair of ballet point shoes, can you imagine the look on his face? What am I supposed to do with that? <laughs> he would find no value in that at all. I mean, unless it's some kind of a, a, a you know, joke kind of thing, gag gift, there's, that's a waste of money. There are some gifts that are appropriate to the person. And there are some that just are inappropriate. It doesn't fit them at all. When you consider the gift of God, what he has given, it is so appropriate. It is so fitting. 
He couldn't give anything more appropriate to us. Hey, there's nothing. And anyone in their right mind, anyone whose eyes are open to see, has to look and think, that's it. That is so exactly for me. When Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God, he not only spoke of a gift of supreme intrinsic value, a gift of immense sentimental value, but also a gift, and it's the same gift, a gift of tremendous appropriate value. Not a single other gift that could have been so well suited for us. To spell out all the ways that this gift is suited for us or, or how it's a fitting gift for us would take much more time than we have tonight. But let me just point you briefly to two passages. And if you'd keep a finger there, John, we're coming back. But let me ask you to flip over to Hebrews chapter 7 for a moment. Hebrews chapter 7. Chapter 7 compares the priesthood of Aaron to the priesthood of Melchizedek. And it concludes that Jesus is a priest according to the order of Melchizedek, not according to the order of Aaron, and that he's such a better priest. And then, let's, let's begin reading in verse 23 of Hebrews chapter 7. The former priest, those priests according to Aaron's line, the former priest on the one hand, existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Pretty fitting right there, but keep going. Verse 26. For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest. It was appropriate for us to have such a high priest. Holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. Who does not need daily like those priests to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people because this he did once for all when he offered up himself. And this continues on into chapter 8. We'll stop right there. Here is a gift that's fitting, that's appropriate. We need such a high priest. Why? Because we are a sinful people who need a sinless priest to offer an acceptable sacrifice that will be accepted by God to pay for our law-breaking, to pay for our sins. And the priest, according to the order of Aaron, couldn't do it. They were having to offer sacrifices for themselves. And they died. and Their sons had to take over. But Jesus doesn't die. And he's sinless and holy and undefiled and separated from sinners. And he's perfectly suited for us. Where else can you find that? 
There's nowhere else. Nowhere else. We can't do it ourselves. We cannot make an angry God happy. If you look for the means to be made right with God, what you must find is this. Only Jesus can help you. And God has given him for that very purpose. If you knew the gift of God, you would know that he is such an appropriate gift. We sang uh, this hymn by Horatio, Horatius, not Horatio, Horatius Bonar, 557, but 564. Another one by Horatius Bonar, somewhat similar. And it has this refrain at the end of every verse that says, To whom save thee, who canst alone for sin atone, Lord, should I flee? Who should I flee to, God, except for you? Because you're the only one who can atone. Verse 1 says, Thy works not mine, O Christ. Speak gladness to this heart. They tell me all is done. They bid my fear depart. Verse 2, thy wounds, not mine, O Christ, can heal my bruised soul. Thy stripes, not mine, contain the balm that makes me whole. Verse 3, thy cross, not mine, O Christ, has borne the awful load of sins that none could bear but the incarnate God. Verse 4, thy death, not mine, O Christ, has paid the ransom due. Ten thousand deaths like mine would have been all too few. Verse 5, thy righteousness, O Christ, alone can cover me. No righteousness avails, save that which is of thee. To whom save thee? Who canst alone for sin atone, Lord, shall I flee? Well, nowhere else. No one else but Christ. Well, I said two passages. The other is actually in John 4. Verse 10, if you knew... The gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink. You would have asked him and he would have given you living water. What you need. What's appropriate. In verse 11. She asked how he's going to get that living water out of the deep well. You don't have any means to draw it. She should have known. He wasn't speaking of water in a well. He said living water. Water that springs forth. It's a reference really to Jeremiah 2, verse 13, where God says, I have this against you. You, you abandoned me, the fount of living waters. You've hewn for yourself cisterns that hold no water. And then in verses 13 and 14, Jesus explains further. Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water... The water in the well will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Are you ever thirsty? If you're parched, a cool drink is entirely appropriate. But I'm not just talking about physically parched. If you're spiritually parched, there's only one appropriate answer, and that's Jesus, the living water. You can run to the world's mud holes, 
but they will leave you dry and unsatisfied. Jesus is the appropriate answer. Let me give you one more. We have an intrinsic value, a sentimental value, an appropriate value. I want to give you one more. It's the necessary value. And there's some overlap here. But I want to draw a distinction because something can be very appropriate for you, but not really be a need. And if you don't need it, you know, its appropriateness might diminish somewhat. But there are times when maybe it's really appropriate, you really like it, it's a value to you, but it's, it's honestly not a need. Um, this Christmas, several years ago, I don't remember how many years ago, I bought a set of Bose noise-canceling headphones. It's before Bluetooth was really popular. It was available, but not really popular. And so it's got a cord. And for a long time, I had an extension cord attached to that so I could move around a little bit more. I've lost the extension cord. And so when I'm at home and it gets a little noisy, I'll put those on. But if I'm sitting at the computer, I have to be careful. If I push back too far, you know, they, they come off or they pull the cord loose. And so this has been a problem. Also, the cord runs from the right side of my computer to the left side of the headphones. So they tend to fall across my keyboard, and I'm constantly moving it over. You know, little first world problems, right? So I've looked several times at the newer ones that are Bluetooth, and I think mm, I'm not going to spend that money for just just for that. I can live with this. I keep thinking I'll find that extension cable. You know, two years I haven't, but I keep thinking. Well, for Christmas I got a little adapter that plugs into the headphone jack on the headphones and it turns them into bluetooth it's awesome i can get up and walk around the room and i don't jerk the computer off the desk i can push back and the headphones come with me you know it's, it's really nice it's not like completely necessary i could live without it i lived a long time without it but it's appropriate necessary not necessarily the same thing that's what i'm trying to get at But there are some gifts that come to us and their value is also associated with the fact that they so perfectly fit our need. I have this necessity, this, this thing that is you know, pressing and a gift comes that fits that and there's a value given to it because of that. Some years ago, we were coming back from the beach and we were traveling through Mobile. We were on this side of Mobile about 40 minutes and the transmission decided to die. Uh, it, it just it quit. And we were kind of in the middle of nowhere trying to figure out how to get home and where to send the vehicle. You know, we're from out of town and didn't want to be taken advantage of and just lots of good questions. So I started thinking about who do we know around Mobile? I didn't think about Joe and Susan, but I did think of someone else that I know. And so I gave him a call, and I don't know what he had on his plate that day, but he dropped whatever it was, came and got us. By the time he got to us, he said, I called around. Here's a shop that can take care of that, and I know where we can get a rollback truck to come and pick up the Suburban if you need us to, and we'll get it over there. And he did that and took me there to make arrangements with the mechanic, and then he took me to the airport where there was a rental desk, and I was able to rent a car and get us home. And he probably spent two and a half or three hours 
And I don't know, like I say, what he had to do that day, but those three hours, they were precious to me. And they fit my need, you know. I needed that. It, I so valued his time and, and his willingness to do that. A lot of gratitude. Something can be of great intrinsic value, but because it just doesn't fit your need, it can be entirely inappropriate. We've talked about this a little bit, but uh, tying it more to need again. You know, a few months ago, John's engine died in his car. And if someone had come along at that moment, probably, and given him an engine, it would have fit a need. He would have been grateful. That's fixed now. So that if you called him now and said, hey, John, I found an engine that fits your car and I had it drop shipped to your driveway. It's sitting there waiting for you. Well, you know, now there's no need. And now it wouldn't be appropriate. It wouldn't, there's not a lot of value to John for an engine sitting in his driveway. Now he's got to think of how to get it out of his driveway. And can I get my car out of the garage? Where, where exactly in the driveway did you put it? You know, it, it's, there's a lot of intrinsic value right there, but it's not very valuable to me sitting in my driveway. gift of God is both of great intrinsic value to those who believe of great sentimental value. It's, uh, it's appropriate value, but it's also such a necessary gift. It's not just a nice extra. It really fits you, but really a nice extra. It's necessary. If you don't have this gift, you will perish Think about what this Jesus has accomplished for the believer by his sacrifice. This gift, the need that he has met. Hebrews 9.28 says, So Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many. If Christ doesn't come, he doesn't bear the sins of many. And that means you bear those sins and the wrath of God abides on you. Romans 5, 9, much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. Ephesians 1, 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Isaiah 53, 5, he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, the chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. First John 1, 7, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Not just fellowship this way, horizontally, but also fellowship vertically. We have fellowship with the living God who dwells in an approachable light. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. And if he doesn't do that, that, then the curse still resides on you. All of this, 
Christ has done. His gift is, is of inestimable worth because of its intrinsic value. It's a precious gift because of the sentiment or the love that the Christian has for him. It is of, of wonderful worth because of how appropriate, how well-suited he is for us. But it's also of great value because of our great need and his willingness to come and meet that need when we have offended him. In one sense, the necessary value of Christ takes priority over the rest. Now, there's the intrinsic value whether you ever appreciate any of it. But if you don't come to grips with the necessary value, if you don't see the need, then how can you appreciate any of the rest of it? If a person does not see that they need Christ, they won't appreciate his intrinsic value. They have no sentimental attachment. His gift will not seem appropriate to them. A good doctor who knows how to help you is a great thing, but only a great thing if you realize that you're sick and you entrust yourself to his care. Jesus said, it's not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. John 4.10, he said, if you knew the gift of God, when he said that, he understood that to really know that gift, you also had to know your need. This woman, this Samaritan woman, would never want the gift of God until she knew how thirsty she really was, how needy she really was. And neither will you. But if you're thirsty, if you're hungry, if you're needy, then that's actually such a good place to be. It's not bad news because it places you in the right position to know the gift of God. He fills the hungry with good things. This is true of the unbeliever. It's also true of the Christian's ongoing enjoyment of fellowship with God. If you are full of the garbage of this world, if you're filling up on the garbage, then how can you expect him to fill you with good things? How can you expect to really value him when you are looking away to other things and, and, and trying to find worth there? But when we feel our need, when we understand something of our hunger, then we look to him and he is quite willing to give us living water. Are you needy? Do you know the gift of God? Come to Jesus. He fills the hungry with good things.